0: Right, guys so today we are in zephaniah so let me just kind of remind you we have 12 minor prophets okay 12 minor prophets we have gone through eight so we're in the last third now so there are four minor prophets left zephaniah is the first of the final four okay and uh, we will be uh progressing right along. Again, Zephaniah is probably three chapters long, so we'll probably go through the book next week, okay, and then go on to the next prophet after that. So let's talk about Zephaniah. So this is lesson 27, and it's going to be an introduction. So again, he's a pre-exilic prophet, so this is before the exile, meaning the big guy on the block Is the Assyrian Empire okay? So, but this is towards the end of the Assyrian Empire, all right? Because things are shifting here, and we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a moment, okay? So, this is how far the Assyrian Empire in 650 was uh, pretty much at their height, okay? Pretty much at their height and the influence they had. So let's talk about some historical background for Zephaniah. First of all, Zephaniah prophesied in the late 7th century BC during the reign of King Josiah, who reigned from 640 to 609 BC. Now, does anybody remember King Josiah? Was he a good king? Was he a bad king? Anybody remember? He's king of Judah. Get your thinking caps on. I'll, I'll remind you. Remember, one of the stories that we know for sure is, if you go through Kings and Chronicles, is is that while they he 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 called for renovations or for uh, the upkeep of the temple, and while they were taking care of the temple and cleaning up, so to speak, places, they found a copy of the law. And so they brought the copy of the law to the king, and he wanted read to him. And so as they read the copy of the covenant of the law, probably it was part of Deuteronomy, which talked about the curses and the blessings and what would happen if they didn't serve the Lord. He repented and set about doing reforms throughout all of Judah to bring the nation back into the worship of the Lord. In fact, he even went beyond Judah. He went up to Bethel. By that point, the northern kingdom doesn't exist anymore. He went up to Bethel, and there he destroyed, in accordance with a prophecy from a prophet earlier, destroyed the altar and the golden calf image in Bethel, and had all the bones of the priests who were buried on the, uh, in the hillside there, all the bones of the, there was a cemetery there, I guess, had the bones burned on this pagan altar to defile it. When they came to the grave of the prophet who was sent there by the Lord, it's in Kings, he, he left that, he was told that's the prophet, he left those bones alone. You know what I'm saying because that was the, that was the man of God who said that Josiah would come many many years later and do exactly what he was doing. So now do you remember Josiah? Okay? He was a good king, all right? He died when of course there's this upheaval going on. We're going to talk about it here in a moment. He died when he confronted uh, the the pharaoh of uh, Egypt who was coming up to battle with Nebuchadnezzar. And Egypt said, leave me alone. I've got work to do. Well, of course, Israel decides to go against him and Josiah didn't survive that battle. So this prophet, Zephaniah, is prophesying during this guy's reign. So this is right before Judah is destroyed. Okay. So this is a short time before Judah is destroyed by Babylon. Okay. So this is the, this is the prophet. So again, the northern kingdom no longer exists as it was taken away into exile by the Assyrians. So just so you know, at this point, the northern kingdom doesn't exist anymore. The ten tribes are carried away. Now, have you ever heard somebody say the lost tribes of Israel? You ever heard that statement? This is what they're referring to, is the the ten tribes who were carried away into Israel. And so people try to make a deal out of it. I've heard, like, for instance, there was something called... When I was in Canada, it's not, we don't, we've never really struggled with it here, but in Canada, because they're a Commonwealth nation, and in Britain, they struggle with the concept of British Israelism. Now what's that? The belief that the British are one of the lost tribes of Israel. Do you, do you understand? Isn't that crazy? Okay, yeah, but people, people look at that to try to justify themselves. Well, the Northern Kingdom no longer exists. Those ten tribes are carried away into exile. All right? So there's a power vacuum now during the time of this when he's prophesying. Even though the big guy on the block is Assyria, there's another big guy emerging. Now, who was the other guy who's emerging now? What other nation is coming up that's going to be a problem? Who's going to ultimately destroy Judah later on? They had a fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. What nation did he was he a king of? Babylon. Okay, all right. So there's a power vacuum that emerges with competing world powers that allows Judah to thrive. So with these competing, you know, there's Assyria, and of course, uh, being a vassal nation, whatever Judah would have to quote give. A tribute of some, and we talked about that. Rob's demanding all of my sheep and grain, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and this amount of gold per year. But, and let's say he's Assyria. And remember I said, John over here is Babylon. He says, you can keep your, uh, you can keep your sheep. I'll just take the gold. You know what I'm saying? And so there's this competition going on because there's like, you know, these, there's these competing world powers. And with that, There's not necessarily one big guy on the block. So during that time, Judah thrives. Did you understand what I'm saying? So because there's nobody to enforce. So Rob would say, you know what? It's kind of like a mafia thing, right? So if I wasn't sending my sheep and my my grain and stuff, Rob sends Tim to put some muscle on me. To make sure that I give. You know what you weren't you weren't coming up with the funds, so he sends an army, Tim. Yeah, but but here's the problem. With the power vacuum and the struggle between the world powers, Tim, Tim can't come get the money from me anymore. Tim's worried about what John's doing. Did you know what I'm saying? And they're they're fighting somewhere else. So during this time of struggles, everybody understand? During this time of struggle, Judah is allowed to thrive, and guess who the king is? Josiah. Okay? So there's, there's some thriving going on here. Now, when you get into the prophecy itself, this is again historical background, Zephaniah anticipates the fall of Nineveh in his prophecy. So he's anticipating, and this would be in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, he's anticipating that Nineveh is going to fall. Now, Nineveh, remember, was the capital of who? The Assyrians, right? So their capital is going to follow. He's anticipating in the prophecy that the Assyrians are going to be destroyed, okay? He also describes religious corruption, the religious corruption of Jerusalem before Josiah's reforms. So we're also going to see where he's discussing before Josiah does his reforms that the religious atmosphere of Jerusalem is pretty corrupt, from the priesthood to their worship and everything. So he's anticipating that in this letter, okay? He's anticipating that in this letter. So, again, let's talk about who was another prophet during his time here. So, again, he's part of four prophets who were prophesying during this time. So Zephaniah was a contemporary of the prophets Jeremiah— okay? He's one of the major prophets, okay? Habakkuk, remember we've already talked about Habakkuk, and Nahum. Remember Nahum? We talked about him. So these guys are all prophesying around the same period of time, okay? It is very possible, because we're going to see where Zephaniah is from, that he knew Jeremiah, okay? He knew Jeremiah. It's also possible that he knew Nahum or he also knew Habakkuk. Okay. So these are all prophets during that time period. They all have their own specific task given to them by the Lord and their own specific thing that they're supposed to do. Now, isn't that interesting? That's stuff for a moment. That kind of sparked something in me. So here you've got four guys. Okay. you got four guys. you got Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Zephaniah. Are their letters the same so far? No, they haven't, okay? What does that tell you? They have different ministries, but they're ministering at the same time. What, what, what can we learn about that? What can we learn about who God uses and what he wants them to do? But there is a lesson here. Okay, uses you as you are, with your background, who you are. We're going to see a little bit about Zephaniah's background here in a moment. But what he has you do may be completely different than what he has me do, right? You know what I'm saying? What he has me do may be completely different than what he has Mike do. So do you understand? He uses us. The key thing is that each of us are obedient to what God calls us to do. Is that not the the key thing? It's not that I become like Rob. Okay? Or Rob becomes like Tim. You know what I'm saying? Or Tim becomes like Bruce. That's not the key thing, because sometimes we have this concept if I'm going to be, if I'm going to serve the Lord, I need to be like who, and we'll lift up people in our mind. No, no, you be who you are. And you just do what God tells you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you have a role. Here's the other thing. Who's the big prophet here among these four? Who's the bigger prophet among these four? Jeremiah. Okay, Nahum may not be like Jeremiah, but Nahum has a purpose. Remember, Nahum's purpose was to prophesy the fall and the destruction of the Assyrians with Nineveh, right? That was his whole letter. Habakkuk's ministry was to go to the Lord and complain, right? And say, I don't understand what's going on. He was bringing the plea of the people to the, to the Lord. Completely different ministry, but he was doing what God told him to do. So the, what I want you to see is, is that each person has their own individual ministry that God gives them. And it's just as important as somebody who's more prominent, right? Okay. So let's talk about Zephaniah. The name Zephaniah means Jehovah hides or Jehovah has hidden. So that's what his name means, okay? I notice we don't, I've not met too many Zephaniahs, even down south, okay? I've not met too many people named Zephaniah, right? So that's not a name we typically name people, but that was a common name. In their day, and it usually means the Lord has hidden or uh, the Lord hides. Jehovah means the, the word means the Lord. All right. In the prophecy, Zephaniah refers to Jerusalem as this place. So when you, when you read the prophecy, when you read the book, whenever he refers to Jerusalem, he's going to talk about it being this place. Now, here's what scholars think. This suggests that Jerusalem was his home, okay? Meaning when he's writing, he's writing from Jerusalem because he refers to it as this place, okay? So this guy's from Jerusalem. Now, we're going to see here in a moment, yeah, it makes sense that he would be from Jerusalem because we're going to look about who he is, okay? Look at who he is. Now, who is he? Zephaniah appears to be of royal descent, okay? Royal descent. Now, how, I you almost. I hate to ask this question, okay, but you almost kind of have to because it's in the news all the time. How many of you see in the news about the royal British royal family stuff? Oh, I know. It's like, oh, are you kidding me, George? Why are you bringing that up? Well, how many princes and princesses are there that they're talking about? Huh? A lot of them, okay, and some are direct descendants in heir to the throne, right? But then there are some others who are a brother or a, a uh, or a, a, a grandson or whatever, and 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 so, but they still have titles, right? They don't have necessarily a big role or a big job, but they still are direct descendants and they have some sort of status there, right? We're going to see that the same thing's true with Zephaniah. What do you mean, George? Well, here's who he is. The scripture tells us. The opening statement traces his lineage four generations to King Hezekiah. So the prophet Zephaniah is not just the grandson, not just the great grandson, you know what I'm saying, but the great great grandson of King Hezekiah. He's of royal descent, okay? So he's from the line of David. Okay, so you you guys are catching me here. So this is who he is. So being from the line of David, does it make sense that he would live in Jerusalem? Yeah, so would he know the king? Probably, you know what I'm saying? The worlds are small. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is who he is. So that's pretty significant. So this is different than one of the other prophets who's taking care of figs from a sycamore tree that the poor eat. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is this is guy who's who's probably used to living in the upper crust of Jerusalem, okay? Do you understand? So this is who he is. Now, what, what is this, what's the significance of that? Well, here's the significance. This is somebody who would see the corruption firsthand. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the priests and the royalty all dwell together. They're interacting. So this is somebody with an inside view. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is somebody who's there, and he sees the corruption going on. All right? Now, again, but here's the problem. We know nothing about the prophet's occupation. We know he's of royal descent, but I don't know what he does. We don't know what he does. he I mean, you can't just assume he's sitting around on a couch all day eating Grapes, okay? He did something, but the Pro- the scripture doesn't tell us what he did, okay? But then it really doesn't matter, does it? All that matters is that we know who he is, what his background is, and what he's doing. So we see something here about who the prophet is. Now, let's talk about what the book's about, okay? So we're going to talk about the occasion, the purpose, and the themes of the book. Okay, so this is where we're going to run. We get into it really next week. You're going to see this come out. Okay, so the phrase day of the Lord is more frequent, is used more frequently in this book than any other Old Testament book. Okay, so let's stop. There are three chapters in this book. And that phrase, the day of the Lord, have we seen that phrase in other prophets? Okay. That phrase, the day of the Lord, is in as far as all the rest of the books of the Old Testament. This little book with three chapters uses that phrase more than it is used in any other book. So obviously you, that must be a significant portion of the scripture here, right? That must kind of point to you that this is what he's talking about here, the day of the Lord. Now, the theme of the book is the impending judgment on Judah for its disobedience. So what we see here is, is that when we talk about the day of the Lord, for those who are looking at it from their perspective of the Old Testament, it is the day of God's judgment. Okay? It's the day of God's judgment. Now let's talk for a moment. Now you and I, we have experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, and we understand that the emphasis is that the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, is that what it is for you and I? First of all, what is the day of the Lord for you and I? The second coming, okay? So when Jesus comes back, Christ comes back. Is that something we're fearful of? Something that we're hoping for? Now, is that something the world will fear? Yes, the scripture very clearly says that... (laughs) When he comes, the nations will be in mourning. They will be panicked. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because it's the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord happens, what happens? Judgment is coming. And are we facing that judgment? No. Now there is a judgment for us, but it's a judgment of reward. You know, we're, we're rewarded based upon what we did with our salvation. Okay. But the judgment of the final judgment, the judgment that comes with the, with Christ coming, we're not fearful of that, right? Now, why do I keep wanting to emphasize that to you? Because what I have found that as I deal with people, especially with people who are struggling with sin in their life, they get so I don't know, distracted, they, they begin to think thoughts that are not biblical. What do you mean they think thoughts that are not biblical? They think, well, listen, you dealing with your sin, you need to deal with it. Sin is always bad to our life. But for you as a believer, it is not something that you need to be fearful of that you're going to get sent to hell all of a sudden. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because you know who? Christ. You belong to him. Does he discipline you for the sin in your life? Yes. Does he want you to stop? Yes. Does he help you to get out of that? Yes. But that means, but here's the difference. The difference is you are his child. You're not getting kicked out of the family. So quit thinking that way. Do you understand? Quit thinking that way. That's a wrong way to think. Because the judgment of the Lord, when it talks here about the day of the Lord for unbelievers, that's where the panic comes. But for you and I as believers, it's a day that we look forward to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anybody got a question about that? Some of you look perplexed. Anybody got a thought? Okay, so let's go on here. We're talking about the theme. There's also the preservation of a true remnant by the mercies of of a covenant-keeping God. So what we're going to see in this book is not just the day of the Lord, which is mentioned many times throughout these three chapters. You're also going to see that he discusses the fact that a covenant-keeping God is going to preserve a true remnant. Why? Because the promises that he gave to Israel, was it based on Israel? No, it was based on him, right? And so the covenant-keeping God says, I will preserve you, and I will do this, and I will fulfill these promises. So with that, even though they're not doing right, he's going to preserve a remnant so that he can fulfill his commitment. Do you understand? Now, there's implications for you and I, right? What do you mean there's implications for you and I? Think about it. Is your salvation based on you? keeping your salvation, is it based on you? If you're not the one who established that relationship with him, it was based on him, what makes you think that you're the one that can change it? Did you understand what I'm saying? You are his. Now he's going to bring you through a process to, to bring you to where you are ready to be go to him. Do you understand? But the problem is that sometimes we think that we affect it. no no, no no, you're his child. Just like you know, I have four kids in my in my home, all right? They're cannons. They're always going to be cannons. Well they'll change No, they're always going to be cannons, right? Am I kicking them out of the house? No. Do, do you understand? You're not going to get kicked you're, you're his child. And it's not based on you, it's based on who, folks? Jesus. Do you understand? That is security. That's why we as a church here believe in eternal security. Do you understand? That's why we believe in eternal security. So what we see here is, though, is in the midst of his judgment, he's going to be judging Judah, but yet in his judgment of Judah, he's going to be preserving a remnant. Why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. Okay? A covenant-keeping God. So now the theme verse of the book is Zephaniah 1.7. So this book, we have a theme, a verse that communicates the theme of the book. Now, what is Zephaniah seven? Well, here it is. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. So you and I, be silent before him. Why? Because it's coming. The sovereign God is coming, and that's what he's going to be communicating in this lesson. So let's talk about some lessons from this book. So this is where we are. There's two main lessons from this book. So again, obviously, the day of the Lord. What we're going to see here when we look at this, we're going to learn some lessons about his judgment, okay? Who he judges, why he judges, how he judges. The day of the Lord is going to be discussed here, okay? Okay? And that's very important. See, here's the thing. I think it's important for us to realize that. Why? Okay. What command did Jesus give us when he left? What was the command? So think for a moment. Stop, forget, push, Zephaniah outside. Let's go to where Jesus is with his disciples, Matthew 28. He gives them a commission. I'm going away, but here's what I want you to do. What command did he give us to do? Go into the world and preach the gospel, right? And make disciples. Okay. Now, why are we supposed to do that? Okay, why? Okay, so, the, but, but there's, there's an obvious answer there. Well, to glorify, well, for, he told us to do it, right? yeah okay that's the most obvious because jesus told us to do it but okay so we can go about and do that but but there's no but i know that i'm supposed to do that you know what i'm saying it's kind of like being told you know my, my dad telling me take the garbage out to the road get get the pull pull the garbage out to the road it's garbage day but i i kind of think yeah i know i got to do that but and then he tells me four times. Do you know what I'm saying? Go, go take the garbage. And finally, I, you know what I'm saying, with a threat of I, you're not going to be going anywhere this weekend. I'll take the garbage out to the road, right? But sometimes that's what we think. Now, here's what I'm saying, though. Understanding the day of the Lord helps you to understand why we're to share. Right? Because people who don't know Christ Is the day of the Lord a good thing? Do do, do you know what I'm saying? There's an urgency in our sharing because you realize that if they don't know Jesus, there's a problem, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Now you say, should I press them for a decision right now? No, no, I think you work with them. You 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 testify to them. People are at different levels and they're understand. You you're trying to move them to a place where they understand the gospel, okay? But the point is is you're doing something to move them there. Okay? Because why? We've been told, "Share. Make disciples. Do what we have to do." But we understand why we have to do it, right? Because something's coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So this is kind of the motivation for why we live the way we live and why we do what we do, okay? But the problem is today, I think we kind of forget this. We just learn to be happy with each other. And we forget the emphasis of the fact is that people are going to go to hell. Do, do, do Do you understand what I'm saying? The day of the Lord is coming. All right, here's the other one. This comes out, here's another lesson from these three chapters. The Lord is the only God of the universe. This is the big lesson here. Now, why would this be a big lesson? Because at Judah, at this point, who's Judah worshiping? They're worshiping out. Yes, they're worshiping the Lord. Okay, they're going to the temple. But they're also worshiping what? idols. They're, they're making cakes. The women are making cakes for, for the, uh, what we would call the horoscope. Do you know what I'm saying? The, the heavenly deities, you know, Sadducees and Aquarius and all that. You know, they're, they're worshiping and sacrificing their children to Moloch. Do you know what I'm saying? And worshiping the gods of the Canaanites and so forth. Baal and Asheroth. They're doing everything, but they're also worshiping who? the Lord. Well, this book comes along and tells you there's only one God. Everything else is meaningless. They're nothing. He is the one who's supreme. And sometimes we need to remember that, don't we? Okay. Sometimes we need to remember that it's God. He is the only God of the universe. And so that's the final lesson we're going to see in this book. So next week, when we come together, we're going to look at these three chapters and uh, find what we need to find for the lessons for us.